Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders, sharing thoughts and practical tips for becoming more customer-centric and accelerating revenue growth. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, CEO at Momentum ITSMA, a global B2B growth consultancy and advisory firm. This episode of Account-Based Marketing was recorded in 2023, where I'm joined by former Head of Brand Experience at BNY Mellon, Janice Fratimiko. Great to have you with us. I'd love to kick off with, um, you, you've had quite a diverse career across marketing roles and, and across a few different industries. Love, love to hear a bit about your background, Janice, and, and your career so far. If I were going to sum up my career in two words, it would probably be, well, it's not two words, but a couple of words. It would be unpredictable and very much outside of my comfort zone, which weirdly enough is my comfort zone, beyond my comfort zone. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable in my personal and professional life. Like if the, if you have to sign a waiver, I'm in. Uh, it, it had almost exclusively been in the consulting industry where I worked for PwC, IBM, and then moved kind of over to technology with SAP. And now I'm in a com- way out of my comfort zone in financial services working for BNY Mellon. So this was a big jump for me to to. Like, you know, aside from using my ATM card and often having an overdraft account, like I had no experience in financial services at all. So um, it's kind of exciting for me to just be in a different space. And also having moved from really building my career, becoming without even trying a subject matter expert in relationship marketing and really shifting that in brand and brand experience. So I've created my career is probably the best way to say it. The jobs that I've been in the last four out of five didn't even exist until I took them. So, you know, they they were almost created for me based on the value I was driving in my skills. So it, it's kind of nice that it just shows you can't predict anything because none of these jobs would have, I would not have been able to apply for them. They didn't exist. And then somebody was like, wait, we need someone like you to do this. I'm going to make it a job. And, and it's worked out really well. Fabulous. We're looking forward to unpacking that a a bit more. I think you've got a really unique blend of having a really strong relationship uh, marketing experience and then transcending into into brands. How did you find the transition from consulting professional services to financial services? What what surprised you the most? Somewhat painful. (laughs) It's it's going from an industry where, and I say that with love because I I love my job, but... um, you know, when you're in consulting and technology, you've got a lot more freedom. And I didn't even realize it because I worked for very, you know, significant, highly valuable brands. And I thought had a lot of rigor around them. But the level of creativity and the level that you can kind of push things was much greater. The boundaries were, were much broader. In a regulated industry like financial services, especially now, um, it's having to get used to if you're in the news, it's a bad thing. If people are talking about you, it's usually for the wrong reasons. And so it's a much more conservative approach and the boundaries are a lot tighter. So it becomes a bit more fun for me to try to push those boundaries outside of, of traditional kind of norms and, and, and the comfort zones of, uh, of the company. It's been a challenge in a good way. I mean, I hear a lot of that from our financial services practice, the partly the regulation, but also feels like there's a slightly different pattern in terms of your stakeholders or in, internal audiences. How have you found that from professional services businesses, tech information businesses to 
the financial services have you found sales and marketing alignment what shape and size that taken sales and marketing alignment is it's a bit more nascent here it's um not as natural as it was in other industries which is great because uh, you know we're required to just continue to nudge sales with value they don't know what they don't know so i think the key to building that relationship right now where i am is you know, there's there's what they know they want from marketing and, and then there's what they don't know. And so you kind of do what the expectations are and then you just keep doing a little bit more and they realize, oh, wait, you know, I was, it's kind of like our iPhone, like it's completely underutilized, right? Like, wait, there's so much more I could be doing. So I kind of see it as a challenge to just continue to nudge sales with value and give them a little bit of something they didn't ask for. And then all of a sudden a want to becomes a have to. And now it becomes part of the expectations and you become accountable for it because you've showed value there. And that's, I think, what what we have to keep doing here. There's also, in this industry, which is so different from, from consulting and technology, is the risk assessment that we have to go through. I mean, I've never been so tight with a lawyer in my life. Everything I do must be reviewed by legal. Everything I do, you know, that we have to do a risk assessment, even something for me that's a no brainer, really have to think long and hard about risk and what the downsides are. And I love that because it's just building a whole new area of my brain that I didn't have where I have to be creative, but yet think through what all the potential risks are. And I had never really had that kind of rigor to my ideation before. So it's it's really interesting and kind of fun. Wow, so, sounds like a, a new environment and one that will, uh, I'm sure, challenge you to to do some really inspiring work. How would you define brand experience? I, I know you've talked about creating some of the roles that that you've moved into. These roles haven't existed before. Uh, what, what what's brand experience mean? Well, I'll tell you what brand experience means to me, and I think I'm kind of helping to define it here because again, it didn't exist before I got here. But um, you know, IBM has a blue. Apar logo. You know what Coca-Cola looks like. You know what the product is that they sell. You know how that, you know, how you might describe that brand. But brand experience is taking you kind of into the emotion of a brand, I think, and how it surrounds you in ways that sometimes you're not always aware of. Also, when I think about brand experience, it's, it's to me focused on the core audience, right? Who is your specific demographic, but then has different iterations as you go in through broader circles of influence. And I've always said, you know, being Y Mellon, we obviously need to reach key executives with other banks and government entities and things like that. But it's also critical that my mom or my kids understand who BNY Mellon is, but in a different way, right? In a and they're they're able to explain it differently because we often, I think, don't realize the power of a brand's influence beyond core demographics. Just how does it make you feel? Does it make you feel proud because your kids, your family, et cetera, are aware that you work there and it gives them a feeling or that you've made a decision to go with them as a vendor? All of those things play into B2B decisions in a way that I think has been underestimated. So I really started that thinking at SAP where we would tell a story very specifically to a to a technical audience and then tell that story in a different way so that my teenage daughters understood it. 
And I'm doing the same thing at BNY Mellon when I think about brand experience. It's thinking about different ways to tell the story about who you are, what you do, what your purpose is, what you believe in, how you're changing the world, how you're changing your clients' clients, and telling that story in a manner that's appropriate for your audience. Which toilet segments are you most focused on? Do you draw in span that entire audience spectrum that, that you've touched on? Do you tend to focus in on those executives, those those partners, um, those government bodies? Yes, <laughs> I think it's the short answer. If you're looking to learn more about account-based marketing, take a look at the ABM Effect, how to win, retain, and grow valuable clients for market-beating growth on Amazon and Audible. And Janet, thinking about trust, and let's just unpack that a little bit. You've talked about how important trust is, clearly brand experience, thinking about the emotion of the brand, how you're connecting both with the core audience and your, your extended audience. And that I like the way you described creating this vibe um, in, in your, your client and, and broader customer base. How do you think about consistency in that brand experience? Yeah, there's that great um, adage that I had a few years ago, trusted um, in droplets and lost in bucket loads. Yeah, how are you making sure that the brand experience is um, really building trust? It's an interesting balance that we have with our brand because we're seen very much as a stodgy kind of old institution. We are a bank, right? Our, we're the bank of banks. But we struggle with the, we're 239 years old, founded by Alexander Hamilton, have this rich kind of history, but you don't want to focus on the year's past. You want to focus on the year's future. So it's that delicate dance of using your history and that foundation and the proof points of that level of resilience in order to be able to fuel a future forward message. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or not, but it's a it's a it's a delicate balance to say, look at what we've done, look at what we survived, because there's a lot of uncertainty in the world now, and 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 there's a, an enormous lack of trust, particularly in governments and institutions that typically we had really leaned on, and a lot of people are now looking to private companies in order to build their trust. And so we're a, a critical piece of global financial markets and global financial in infrastructure. So, you know, if we fail, the economy fails to a degree, right? There's a huge ripple effect there. And we realize the importance we have as that central orchestrator in the global financial space. So we really do lean on our history as the proof point and then focus on how the fact that we've survived 239 years is proof of a, a a culture of innovation and forward thinking, right? You don't make it this long without, you know, when, when we were talking about the failure of SVB and what happened there and our, our head of risk, CEO, they were talking about how they handled it. And their answer was, we didn't have to, we were already prepared. Like it wasn't, oh my gosh, what do we have to do differently? It was, let's put all the processes and everything in motion because we were ready. And I think that that's where that level of trust comes in. Robin Vince, our CEO, said it perfectly. He said, we were the port in the storm for our clients during that time just a month or so ago. And so we continue to be that port in the storm because of the history of being ahead of the curve. Got it. I mean, it sounds like a lot of what you'll do with the brand is drawing on the elements of trust and the consistency over the last 239 years and then also 
continuously reinventing and nudging forwards to, as, as you think about bringing, bring all the brand uh, to, to, to the current time. And always staying true to who you are. You know, I remember being at IBM when we turned 100 and you look at, you know, selling giant, huge machines and things like that to now what IBM is. And every one of those innovations and changes were still true to the core of who IBM is. And we often are like, okay, you know, there was a need to create this bank that Alexander Hamilton saw back in the 1700s. What was driving that? What was, you know, the spirit in which he created this bank? And then how do we stay true to that with a way that's continuously future focused? And and what does success look like for you, Dan, is how are you thinking about impact? How are you measuring the success of brand experience? So it's always commercial first, right? If the company's not doing well, I'm not doing well. If marketing overall is not driving demand, is not shortening a sales cycle, is not making our win rates higher, et cetera, I'm not doing my job. And I don't lose sight of the connectedness that I have to the business results. So it's business results first and foremost. Now, it's not a one-to-one ratio, right? You didn't kick the tire and buy the car because of something that I did. But if the business doesn't succeed, I'm not succeeding. Then there are other, I think, you know, quantitative metrics like brand value and how do we fall? What's the, you know, when you go out, you survey your clients, what's the perception of the BNY brand? How has that shifted? And then there's the softer kind of metrics. There's the vibe. There's the feeling. There's the buzz. There's the... Are we being talked about? Are we seeing an uplift in some social media posts? Are are our employees proud? You know, are they posting more about life at BNY Mellon than they have in the past? Are we giving them something to talk about that they can, you know, then share beyond the walls of this building? So you've got the quantitative metrics first and foremost, revenue, brand value, social media metrics, et cetera. And then you've got those softer metrics that's just like, this feels good. And that's just as important. So well, we've seen in our marketing trend study that we're hearing from marketing leaders that being more performance orientated, there's a focus on more near term impact. And, you know, I guess in many of us are kind of changing roles at a faster pace. And brand has always been seen as that longer, um, longer stay versus demand being in the short term. But it sounds like you're working across across both really and what you're thinking about brand experience in the here and now as well as how do you build the next 239 years a hundred percent a hundred percent it's got to impact next quarter what i'm doing but also and another metric that we're looking at and this is one that hadn't really been important prior to our new ceo who's come in about a year and a half ago and my joining the company and that's earned media so where are we getting talked about and how are we being talked about maybe outside of the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times, you know, or is is who's going to care about our graffiti artist outside? It's not going to be the Wall Street Journal, but maybe maybe Brand Week, maybe New York Blood, maybe, you know, there'll be some local, some art magazines, right? Some art channels, et cetera, magazine. God, I just aged myself. Who reads a magazine? But, you know, art publications, et cetera, that will be talking about BNY Mellon. That's a different space than we've ever occupied. Got it. And you've had some incredible experience, Janice, across, you know, PwC, IBM, SAP, uh, we touched on Bloomberg earlier. Has brand experience as you've created it, those roles in, in, in those organizations, has it played a similar role? Has it had a similar charter to, to what you're seeing at BNY Mellon or is, is it different? It's very similar, I think, um, but it's continuously evolving, right? So 
I mean, the job I did even at SAP, which was not that long ago, is, is very different from the job I'm doing now only because the new tools, the new way audiences are consuming things. You know, we're, we're all trying to, you know, how, how does a stodgy old 239-year-old brand use TikTok, right? How do we get out there in different ways? So it's continuously trying to, you know, feed the the general public and our audiences in different ways that they're consuming it. But the one thing that's the constant is the connection to commerciality, the connection to the business, and ultimately the the feeling that you're trying to generate and the way you're being talked about. And that's the consistent thing. It, what changes is the way in which you're driving it. You know, now all of a sudden I'm speaking into chat GPT to give me, you know, the my next idea, although they haven't been very helpful. Plus, it's not going to replace my team quite yet. We're doing a better job on our own than through ChatGPT. Brand experience, client relationships. Let's just talk about where both of your experiences um, intersect and a lot of the expertise that you've built up. How are you finding brand experience playing directly into product relationships? One of the things I love is that our clients are our best and most valuable brand ambassadors. So it's when you think about creating a perception of your brand, modernizing the perception of your brand, the best way to do that, the most efficient and effective way to do that is through your clients' voices. So, you know, that's a lot more efficient and effective than a giant, you know, media buy, which many of us don't have budget for right now. So I think one of the things that we're doing is really looking to our clients to tell their stories and tell them in a way where they're the hero of their story. It's really about what they're now able to do for their own clients, but it's enabled by BNY Mellon. And then, like I said, when I was talking about client storytelling, that becomes a commercial asset that we can use more broadly. But if you think about those clients and and how we can, when we bring them together for events, when we reach out to them, what they experience, just even in the, you know, the, the, the process of signing a contract, all of that is part of the brand experience, you know? So it, it goes to, you know, what's the meeting vibe? What is it like when they ultimately need to sign a contract? How many hoops do they have to go through? How effectively do our solutions and products work? All of that drives brand value and brand experience and brand perception. So those individuals have more power than anything that we could possibly buy with any kind of paid media or pop-up activation, without a doubt. So I think they're totally interconnected. You could do a $10 million media buy, but one client who's pissed off is going to have more impact to your brand and your value than anything that you've done through a media buy. Yeah, no, hearing you completely. It sounds like you're a, a great believer of brand is what your customers say it is, as opposed to to what you're you're perhaps putting out there um, separately. H- how do you bring your clients on that journey? As you're, you know, modernizing the brand, you're going through a bit of an evolution as as an organization. H- how do you stay close? Is it about embedding more voice of the customer? Is it about you know, really analyzing the needs of your clients? How are you thinking about the, the role of clients playing in your brand definition? I think we continue to try to be really creative and scrappy in this way because we haven't really thought of the clients as brand ambassadors before. I mean, we cared about, we always cared about client satisfaction. That's always been important, but I don't think we've recognized 
the power of the clients as a tool, as a marketing and sales tool for us. So yes, it's creating that connection. It's also being very thoughtful. A book was recommended to me right before I started. It's about the power of moments. I think that's what it's called, is the power of moments. So what I've been trying to think through in a creative way is how do you make a moment where it maybe didn't exist before? The 239th anniversary, frankly, is a good example. I mean, when I was here last year, we turned 238 and just kind of, I think it went with the social media post, social card, happy birthday to us. Now we're like, no, we're going to ring the bell at the stock exchange. You know, next year we're going to be 240. So the question is, you know, why do we care? Well, it's got a zero on the end of it. When I turned 40, I went to France. I brought my whole family with me. You know, those, those celebrations that have a zero at the end of them are a cause to celebrate. Let's make a moment. And when you think about clients... I think about, okay, how can we make a moment where they didn't expect it, right? Did their 100 millionth dollar pass through our, you know, our, our custody chain and our bank? And can we celebrate that in some way and surprise and delight them? What are moments? There are the moments that we have with clients that we know are important, right? When they sign a deal, when something goes, you know, back in the SAP days, when something goes live, et cetera. There are those obvious moments. And then there are chances to connect with clients where, they didn't expect it. And that's where I'm trying to bring a level of creativity and think about the power of moments and how can we create those surges in our relationship with the client where nobody saw it coming. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Whilst listening, please hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to get access to our full library of recordings and alerts of all new episodes. And Jealous, given some of the experience that you've had in consulting businesses, tech businesses, you'll be really familiar with complexity in buyer journeys, complexity in client interactions. How are you architecting the brand experience given that, that complexity? I think I try to reduce it maybe to like least complex version. And that is the one thing that I've seen as I've had a career in B2B marketing is this assumption that People have turned off their human when they come to work, when they're buying on behalf of their business, that they're no longer buying like a normal human. And I've said this before, and, and it's nobody turns off the human. So I try to reduce it to, as a consumer myself, what is the best way that I want to interact with the brand, whether it's at the beginning of a client journey. I, you know, I've said when I was in field marketing, I was like, has anybody ever said, I wish I had more email? And yet, what do we default to? Let's send more emails and let's hope for like a 0.001 open rate and celebrate that success. That sucks. That's not a success by any metric, you know? So at the beginning of the buyer's journey, why do we think email, cold calling or emails are the way to go when literally nobody wants a phone call from someone they don't know and no one wants more email? What are better ways to attract people at the beginning of the buyer? Why did I buy, why do I on a regular basis in my Uber ride spend so much money on Instagram because they're hitting me with something through social media that they know I want and and I make a purchase and what is it that's going on in my brain that's having me spend $200 before I got into the office on a hair care product I don't need, you know? And and that same psychology it's going to drive people in their business decisions. And I haven't cracked the code, but I know it's not email. And I know it's not cold calling. You know, what about an event makes it memorable so that people go to so many conferences a year? 
but something's got to make it memorable. Something's got to happen that makes you want to associate more positively so that you want to keep talking, right? And then it's the same thing throughout the buyer's journey. I really try to reduce it to the fact that why did I buy hair care products that I didn't need? Why did I decide to go on vacation? Why do I go back to that hotel all the time? And what's happening along my own personal buyer journey as a consumer that I can translate some way into the buyer's journey you know, of a B2B client, which I think is stupid anyway. I like hate B2B versus B2C. Like I don't even think it exists. It's, so yeah, it's reduced it to its simplest form. And, and how does that translate throughout a very more complex buyer's journey? How do you make it simple? What do people react to? I mean, the main variable that we see in your big clients is that you've got multiple people going on that journey and perhaps they've all got a slightly different set of knowledge and they've got a different experience as they're heading through through that buyer journey. As, as we t- were talking about earlier, how do you create consistency and trust? And like a memory of it. Particularly, I'm, I'm learning more about financial services now, but when I was back in technology, no matter where I worked, IBM, Bloomberg, SAP, we would describe our ideal customer and they were the same person. And I realized that same person is hearing from all those people. How do you stand out? You're not going to stand out from an email. You're not going to stand out because they came to a conference and heard a keynote. They're not going to remember. Ryan Reynolds is speaking at like every company's keynote right now, right? He was at Qualtrics. He was at Sapphire. He, well, I'm going to be like, oh, I saw Ryan Reynolds somewhere. That's not memorable. You know what I mean? Although, you know, he's dreamy and I'd love to hear him no matter where he is, but you know, how do you make it memorable so that you're not getting the speaker, everybody's speaking and you don't blend into the, the noise and stand out? Um, I think that's a really good point. And go back to, to the reference you made of make a moment of it as well. It's ma- making sure that you're remembering that uh, these people will be at different places and, and how do you make it stick and cut through. And Janice, you, you've also worked in field marketing roles that we, we haven't explored as much. Did, did you feel that gave you greater proximity to clients? Have you take, what have you taken from your field marketing roles that you're applying today in, in brand experience? It's the same thing I was just talking about. I would get anxious when I would see some of the presentations that we were getting ready to show to clients or emails that we were getting ready to send that I would be like, would anybody open this? Or do you seriously think somebody wants to sit through a, a you know, 50 page PowerPoint presentation, and then you build in Q&A and consider it interactive, that's not interactive. That's not a dialogue. That's not how humans want to interact. And so I've taken so much from what I've seen in those client-specific roles to say, back it up. Literally think about the fact that that same person was just watching cat videos and making a grocery list and stressing out because their teenage daughter missed the bus, you know? And, and How do you then remember all of that and create messaging in a way that's going to be important and speak to that person's soul, right? What they care about. So everything that I saw in field marketing, like I would be brought in for one reason and then I would end up like rejiggering the whole presentation. How are you going to introduce yourself to the client? Nobody cares that your name is Alicia and that you've been at, you know, momentum for this many years and that you're from here and that I'm Alicia. Here's what I'm going to do for you. And I and so field marketing had me focus so much on what was truly important to the client and how to truly stand out and have them want to continue on this journey with us, that there's so much of that emotion that I brought into the brand experience world and said, that is brand experience, right? Death by PowerPoint is a negative brand experience. I remember I was in a, I was at SAP and I 
this wasn't why I was there, but I saw the first slide and they said something like, it's not your father's SAP. And it was for a client that was coming into a meeting. And I said, oh my gosh, first of all, the client's already coming, like they're in the room. So why were you trying to convince them that it's not your father's SAP when they're already in the room? And second of all, that is referring to a commercial from like 30 years ago for like Buick or something. I don't even know. But just using that reference is making it your father's SAP because who watches commercials anymore? Who in the room even is going to know what that's talking about? And you're referencing something that was like so old that you're making, like you're defeating the purpose. I was like, no, no, no. We're redoing this whole thing. So, you know, I I see things like that and I'm like, okay, that's the stuff I've got to look for in everything I do to make sure that we're just continuing on a message that's relevant and that really just speaks to who the audience is. And we lose sight of our audience all the time. Well, what's the secret sauce there, Janice? How how do you bring the the entire organization? You can't beat every um, client interaction. You can't beat every market interaction, and you can't govern everything. How how can you fix it? You know, I I hear from account teams and you know, client relationship partners and and client directors all the time where they say, you know, our brand messaging is too high level. It doesn't really mean anything to these customers. Therefore, I'm adapting it to X. Then in the same same conversation, I hear from brand teams saying that you know the brand is growing arms and legs because of all this um, adaption that happens in in the field. What are some of the tips? You kind of have to go viral, right? You have to see first of all what can you control from the top down, right? The PowerPoint templates that you develop or the training that you give people and things like that, and then you have to convince you know that one person of a better way to do it, and then hope to some degree it goes viral. So there's a little bit that's controlled and there's a little bit that's out of your control that you can help. And then me, I never say no. And so I'm like getting myself involved. And I think it's like what we were talking about before, how I've created some of these jobs. It's like, okay, you didn't ask me to help you ultimately with the client presentation, but I'm going to do that anyway, because they see a role. And then all of a sudden it becomes a have to, not a want to. You kind of have to continue to nudge people with value and hope that it kind of catches on. But, you know, in the end, I'm always telling people, would you answer this? Would you be bored with this? I have a friend that that once sat through a presentation and he told me about how he doesn't want to see that page that everybody puts up of all the logos with whom they've worked. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. Why does every single company put that page with all the logos? It's like right away, you're losing your audience. You know, I don't care. And one of the roles that you, you have created, Janice, is uh, when you joined the BMY Metal Understand was uh, integrated strategic programs. And we're seeing, you know, integration of programs across marketing becoming a bigger and bigger priority. Then what, what do you think is driving that need for integration? It's not new news that silos don't work. I don't think it's also new news that you have to be more efficient and efficiency comes with integration. And you also get more value from it. So it solves two problems that I think a lot of companies are trying to solve right now. We're working on smaller budgets across the board of marketing. So if you're doing this and you're doing this, but wait, there's overlap and we could do it together. A, it's a more powerful message about B&Y, Melon, and how when our solutions come together, like we could work across the board in terms of solving a problem for a client. And then it also allows us to save money. So I think there's an out of a lack of resources comes, I think, some really effective marketing. And I'm not advocating to take more money away from marketing, but you, you're you forced to be smarter because you're doing, you have to do more of less. 
And one of the things that drives me crazy when I first got here, everybody was so focused on rules of responsibilities, but I'm like, no, no, no. When you talk about swim lanes, water moves amongst those. And everybody has everybody has an experience as a consumer on their own. Everybody has different kind of skills to add. So I don't care if it's your job. You've got a role to play and you've got an opinion when somebody else is talking and I want you to share that. I don't want anybody to think of their job. And but I, I really do think it's it's a, a need to do more with less that's forcing integration that is actually a good thing. It goes brings us full circle, Janice, doesn't it? Of being comfortable in the uncomfortable, you know, to, having to do more, more with less is, is driving innovation and new ideas uh, across your team. Janice, I've really enjoyed the, the discussion. It's been great to hear about how you're approaching brand experience and, and talking a little bit about making moments matter. I'd love to bring us to a close uh, by by asking you what, what you're most proud of. You've had a, a fantastic career to, to date. I know you've got some exciting plans in the future as well. But, um, as, as you reflect back, what do you most proud Yeah, I saw this question and I was like, well, I have to say my kids because I have two remarkable absolutely remarkable children that I can't believe like I had a hand in making. So I think, you know, at the end of our days, we always have to be the most proud of those, you know, those little humans, or they're not so little anymore, but they're, they're just, they blow my mind. So that's personally and overall what I'm most proud of. Professionally, though, I am really proud of the fact that I take risks and I'm just, I'm willing to take the bigger risk for the bigger reward. And I'm always the one that's kind of got my my hand up or my head up. And, you know, as much as I'll jump out of a plane or run off the side of a cliff with a hang, you know, to hang glide, I'll also do the same thing in my professional career. And I think when you take risks, you know, I, I do that with I do that with joy. I also am very proud of the fact that I am not ashamed to have fun at work. And I totally believe that work should be fun. And I push back on people to try to make work sound onerous because I damn well better be super excited on Sunday night for Monday morning. So fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us um, on this episode, Janice. I've loved the conversation and great to hear about what you've been up to. And I can't wait uh, to see see where you take this next of watching this space over August. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ITSMA, a leading B2B growth consultancy and pioneers of account-based marketing. Learn more at MomentumITSMA.com.